think there's going to be a lot that came out yesterday that goes to mens rea, that goes to Trump's criminal intent, his knowledge. Mike Pence testified yesterday. Pence to do was in fact dishonest, that it wasn't because he had won, but in fact because he lost. Do um, you know that, eight, that section? Eight, I don't know <laughs> how much you followed Pence's book. Two I, of course, ago, didn't read it, but Jessica I've seen reporting Denson. on it. That, um, Trump's time is up. This case is said up. that Trump <laughs> told him he was too honest. He was huh. too honest. So for him to really flesh out those conversations with Jack Smith before the grand jury is, is very, very significant because, like I said, it goes to Trump's intent. And that's a major component of proving any criminal case against Trump, which I think has always been extremely obvious. But it's obviously very significant to get it from a witness like Mike Pence. Could I do my Mike Pence impression? Yeah. All right, you guys, you know, it's a, uh, Jack, Lights I just want you to know. Denson. First, Ta- Trump's I time is up as cases pile up. I am a conservative. And third, I am a Republican in that order. <laughs> so if Donald Trump did indeed want to, <laughs> or, you know, but I'm glad that he which I think has always been extremely obvious, but it's obviously very significant to get it from a witness like Mike Pence. Should I do my Mike Pence impression? Mike Pence impression? Do it. All right. Like Mike Pence. Should I do my Mike Pence impression? <laughs> do it. All right. As a United States... Like Mike Pence. Should I do my Mike Pence impression? Do it. All right. He goes, you know, this is a, Jack, I just want you to know, first... I am a Christian. And second, I am a conservative. And, and third, I am a Republican in that order. So if Donald Trump did indeed want to kill me, okay, if he wanted to do that, I'd have to ask myself, I'd have to consult my faith, I'd have to consult my family, and I would say, is he doing it because he is a Christian, conservative, or a Republican. If one of those things occurs, I'll have to say, you may hang me, Donald Trump. You may, you may, you may do that. I mean, you know, what? total and utter complete coward, you know, but I'm glad that he justified. I mean, he argued the speech and debate clause privilege that he should be treated the same as a United States... Like Mike Pence. Should I do my Mike Pence impression? <laughs> do it. All right, he goes, you want to kill me, okay, if he wanted to do that, I'd have to ask myself, I'd have to consult my faith, I'd have to consult my family, and I would say, is he doing it because he is a Christian, conservative, or a Republican? If one of those things, even a licensed lawyer, he rolls up his sleeves and he's like, here's what we're going. Information and battery case against Trump testifying in detail under oath in some 30 years after Trump violated her that there is no running out the clock on truth and accountability. The only clock running out is impunity for the serial predator and former president who is finally having his decades of misconduct against women tried in a court of law. This week, the legendary columnist took to stand in her defamation and battery case against Trump, testifying in detail under oath to Trump's actions in a department store dressing room in the mid-90s. She met the condescending cross from Trump's lawyer not only with credible emotion, but with unwavering fortitude and wit. 
facing the truth has only made Eugene wiser, braver, and more resilient. Trump, on the other hand, can't even muster the strength to show up in his own defense. That's unlikely to change when the trial resumes next week. And let's be clear. Trump is weak, not because he's old, but because he's a coward. He's spent his 70 years plus on this earth running from the truth. But from civil trials to criminal grand juries, he's at the end of that road. Yesterday, special counsel Jackson has made history, obtaining more than five hours of testimony from his former vice president, Mike Pence. Pence is forced to testify to Trump's efforts to pressure him to overturn the 2020 election after giving up his own political bid to block Smith's subpoena, and less than 24 hours after Trump's last his effort to block the testimony failed in his court appeal. Never forget that before Pence upheld his minimum duty to the Constitution on January 6th, he stood behind his creditor boss for four years while claiming to be a man of deep state and family values. Calls to hang Mike Pence would have never happened if the so-called Christians surrounding Trump denounced him long before that day. But the former VP, like most of the GOP, fear Trump more than they fear God. Pence will continue to be a pathetic and morally equivocating presidential wannabe in public. But I think it's safe to assume that yesterday Jack Smith got some truly damning testimony about Trump from Pence behind closed doors. And from faithlessness to ugly ageism, not to mention complete recklessness when it comes to a full faith and credit of the United States, the GOP is showing how truly unfit they are to lead. This week, Biden launched his re-election bid, unapologetically, love this, reclaiming the freedom platform from the fascist Republicans who have hijacked it for so long. It's a beautiful winning strategy. And Biden has been an unusually effective and competent president against enormous headwinds. I want to shine a light on the nasty and baseless attacks on Biden's age and how fit Biden really is to take on a second term and the dangerous fascist run against him. Last but not least, how can we forget that this week started with the ouster of Tucker Carlson? who is responsible, responsible for mainstreaming so much of this ugliness and hate. If you've watched Life On before, you know that I know how this brainwashing and division works all too well. And I was absolutely thrilled to see his platform on Fox News come to an end. Stick around because I'm going to share an exclusive throwback moment that really brings the Tucker story full circle for me. And I think you'll really enjoy it too. So welcome to our luminaries. Welcome, Ben, my cellist, my cut founder, and my buddy sidekick. How are you doing today? You see, you are fully embracing what I said. I am the sidekick. <laughs> I am the clear number two here on I the show. The only fight I left was the fight to call Ben, my cellist, not a sidekick. So and sidekick I am is. proud to be a sidekick. And as we talk about what took place... Um, that you were just teasing that you're going to put at the end of the show, that you're going to show people that kind of throwback. I'll just say this, that you and I may have been in the same location, in the exact same room at that time, and we just had never met each other at that time. And for all those watching, Jessica and I go actually way back. 
we didn't realize it until we met when you first appeared as a guest on the Midas Touch podcast back over a year ago at this point. Um, but definitely some kind of funny coincidences there. But Jessica, a really big week. I mean, you know, yeah. from the courage and the heroism of Eugene Carroll uh, to the, you know, I think the cowardice of Ken trying to avoid the testimony, but ultimately, you know, essentially losing and being ordered to show up. But to his credit, showed up, spent a full day there, didn't invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination to President Biden announcing his re-election, to Tucker being fired. How can we forget? It seems like a long time ago at this point, but the beginning of this week. And then just remember, on uh, just think about how fast things are moving, though, right now, because on the last lifetime that we did, you had Jerry Filipatos, Abby Grossberg's lawyer here, and she played a major part in exposing the working conditions when she used to be an executive producer at Tucker Carlson, and she sh- and uh, her lawyer shared all about that experience here, so if people want to go back and watch that last interview, too, you did a great job with that interview, but excited for today's show. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think we absolutely cannot discount the role that Abby Grossberg played in the firing of Tucker Carlson. She and Jerry both said they don't know the extent to which it actually factored in, but you put it, you put it together with all the revelations that came out in Dominion, and I think she absolutely had a role in that. There is some very damning information that came out about Pepper Carlson in her lawsuit. And uh, it was so great to have Jerry. Yeah, definitely go back, um, check out last week's episode, and even the week before, where we really um, we really dug into it before we even brought Jerry on. But speaking of strong women who have been uh, fighting to expose the truth, taking back their power, saying I'm not going to stand for this, look at Eugene Carroll. I'm so inspired by her. And I love stories like this because we're going to get in the end of this episode to this ugliness of ageism. But I love stories that just show no matter how old you are, no matter what the number subscribed to you is, it is absolutely no indication of what you are capable of, of the courage and fortitude that you can express, of the impact that you can have. We know that Donald Trump has been accused by dozens of women of this kind of violating conduct that, that Eugene and Carol is bringing to her defamation and battery trial, and yet he has never been put on trial for it before. And Eugene Carroll, Carol found her voice. I mean, she was she was no, you know, shy, silent woman, but. She, this was, this was something that it really took her years to come to terms with sharing publicly. And you know, I think about this because it was around the same time that I filed my sex discrimination and slander harassment lawsuit against the Trump campaign in 2017. It was, it was during the MeToo movement. And for E.G. Carroll, it was it was a recognition that she could not be out there as this columnist for women sharing other people's stories and being dishonest about her own experience. And it wasn't I mean, I would never put blame on somebody who had been through what she had been through for not feeling like she could come publicly forward with things like this. But it was seeing that courage and bravery of other women that inspires her back in 2017 to say, I have to step out. It doesn't matter how much time has passed. 
frankly doesn't matter who's going to believe me or not. That's not a, that's not the consideration here. The consideration is that I am now going to speak the truth and put it out there and um, and move forward with accountability and look where we are. I mean, look what these Jean Carroll has done. I couldn't help that this trial was going on thinking of Bill Cosby and the years and years it took for him to face accountability. Um, and it, it's not normal. It is not, we can never forget the, the conduct that Donald Trump is incredibly accused of by so many women and how, what an aberration and just disgusting fact that Donald Trump was ever in the White House to begin with. And please, the irony is not lost on me. You're watching this program. You know I watch. I I live in the Fox News echo chamber. I worked for Donald Trump in 2016 when the Access Hollywood revelations were coming out. I have certainly come to terms with my own denial, and um, I live in that time in a in a space where I believe that all of the accusations coming out against him were false because I was so deluded into believing that he was just under false attack by everyone. And you better believe that um, I have come to terms with my own ignorance and lack of seeing the plight of other women and recognizing the veracity of their claims. So um, I'm inspired by Eugene Carroll. Like I said, it was the same time that I found that courage myself in 2017 because of the courage of other women and just people in general who have been in these, these depressive and um, experiences where they have been violated, having the courage to come forward. And uh, it may take time, but that time is worth it and it is going to make a huge change and be one of the first really um, significant uh, I think, rulings to drop in the chain of accountability that we are now on for Donald Trump. So, the E. Jean Carroll trial has uh, progressed, I think, faster than many court observers are used to, and that's also because Judge Lewis Kaplan, the federal judge presiding over the case, was a very efficient uh, court and a very efficient trial schedule. So on Wednesday, jury selection was completed by lunch. They already picked the jury. Nine jurors selected, alternates as well, and opening statements began right after lunch. So Eugene Carroll's lawyers gave an opening, Donald Trump's lawyer, Joe Papatina, gave an opening, and then testimony began right away. Testimony yeah. began into Thursday. There was a witness who had been at the Bergdorf Goodman who worked there who was able to discuss the layout to explain for the jury and to kind of just paint a picture where the changing rooms are, where um, you enter, how celebrities would frequent it, which areas would be kind of quiet areas. And it's a very smart move to kind of paint that picture because the jurors need to be able to visualize that before you have E. Jean Carroll testify. And then putting your witness on, the main plaintiff on right away, though, is, is a fairly risky strategy because that's your case right there. And even if you have the truth on your side, the light on your side, the facts on your side, you know, E. Jean Carroll has been living and breathing the case and the trauma every single day of her life. And you know, Jessica, what it's like to be embroiled in a court case um, and, and to 
You know, it becomes, this is what I always tell my clients, you know, who want to, you know, we're thinking about filing lawsuits. I said, I just want to let you know, it is beyond a full-time job. It's we're a massive, massive undertaking. Yes. And then so after all of that, then it's her moment to testify that she's been waiting for this moment. And, you, you know, there's not a lot you can do to prep for it. It's not like you can practice all your life for testifying in front of a jury and what those circumstances are going to be like. It's very nerve-wracking. And the direct exam of Eugene Carroll began good, you know, began okay. And there was a moment, though, where E. Jean Carroll, I think, just even transcended the moment. Like, it was a magical moment, if you will. And I think it started happening on the end of the direct exam, but really happened when Joe Takapina engaged in this really kind of disgusting cross-examination of her, where she recognized that the truth was on her side, that she recognized the facts were on her side, and she recognized that Donald Trump, for all of his bloviating bluster, was too scared to even show up in that courtroom. And she was there to tell her story. He was afraid. He wants to be a keyboard warrior and make all and post all of these messages about uh, you know about her, which the judge called out, and the judge said, "You tell your client, Takapina, if he keeps saying this, you may have to start looking into some criminal statutes." Um, and for those watching, you see Roberta Kaplan and E. Jean Carroll. It's Roberta Kaplan on the left, E. Jean Carroll getting into the car there. And I think E. Jean Carroll, you know, really, she's been such a strong person. But in that moment, she found superhuman strength. And then she just, you know, basically was telling Takapina, no, I'm ready to go. And what you're saying is outrageous. What you're saying makes no sense. You know, now let's just talk for a minute about how he greeted her. This was the, the like for me as a juror, if I saw the way that he approached her, it would have been over. <laughs> I don't want to say that. I mean, I hope the jurors maintain neutrality and you know weigh everything until the end. But my God, talking about talk about setting a condescending and just disgusting tone off of that. So he comes in, he says to her, "Good morning," and she nods. And because she does not verbally acknowledge him. He says to her again, good morning, and waits for a response. And she, I think, possibly at that point verbally responds. And he says to her, there you go. There you go. Do you imagine that? I mean, the, the insensitivity. I was actually, a couple of weeks, I joined uh, Popak and Karen on Legal AF, and we talked about the, the possibility that Takapuma was going to be cross-examining Eugene Carroll and what a bad look. I mean, you would think in this position that they would get a female attorney to cross-examine Eugene Carroll, but they, they didn't even. They have Alina Haba, but they didn't use her. They used Joe Tapatina, and as soft as he may have tried to make himself, um, his, his, uh, some of his questions were extremely condescending. And as, as we were talking about, when he started to really challenge her on why, for instance, she didn't scream, um, she really took him to task and said, I didn't have to scream. Um, it was, to me... She stood up for herself in such a beautiful way, and and so many other women, I think, that can relate that have been through experiences like this, having this uh, mansplaining, misogynist expectation of how they should act when they are being violated in this manner. Um, 
I don't think so. And and she did such a service, not just to herself, but like I said, to so many others who have had these experiences. So, so two points I want to piggyback off what you just said. Alina Hapa, um, we've always heard her name, and she likes to do these interviews with all these far right-wing um, you know, uh, media companies where she's, uh, you know, talks to tough games, right? She hasn't said a word during the trial. And she likely won't say a word during the trial because she's not a trial lawyer. She's a total and complete phony. And she goes around and she, again, she, she says all these things, but when that cross-exam should have been a Luna you know, if, if, if you are representing, right, I mean, if, if you're the lawyer there representing Donald Trump, that, and, and you went to all these media networks talking trash about Eugene Carroll and how strong Donald Trump is, you take that cross as well, you know, as, as a trial lawyer, you know, and, and she hasn't said a word, I doubt she'll say a word, I don't think she knows how to do a cross exam. I don't think that she knows how to do a direct exam. I don't think she knows the rules of evidence. I don't, she doesn't know what she's doing. There's a reason why she keeps getting sanctioned over and over again in the various cases. That's one point I want to Two, the way does the Eugene Carroll trial go next? So what, what, what happens now? Um, so her testimony will conclude. And after her testimony concludes, then you're going to have other victims of Donald Trump testify about their experiences. Uh, they're going to play the Access Hollywood tape for the jury to hear, where Donald Trump brags about his vile and disgusting unlawful conduct. The jury will get to hear that. The jury will hear contemporaneous witnesses who E. Jean Carroll told what happened at the time. And Takafina is going to what, try to cross-examine them. Um, and then they're going to play the deposition testimony of Donald Trump that was taken. Um, e. Jean Carroll's lawyers, Roberta Kaplan, they are not going to call Donald Trump as a witness. And you may say, well, why, why would they not call Donald Trump as a witness? Drag his ass into court. It's a brilliant strategy because Donald Trump did so bad at his deposition, you're able to play the full deposition. It'll be a video deposition the jury will see. And then I think after Donald Trump's deposition, I think that'll be the last thing they show the jury. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but then they'll rest, and that'll be it. And then the judge is going to stay in front of the jury, plaintiff rest. Defense, you may put on your witness. And then Takapina is likely not going to call Donald Trump. He's not going to show up at his own trial. <laughs> and so likely what Takapina is going to take, if he has no other witness but Donald Trump, and in any other situation, the person who's accused would show up and would testify in person. But Donald Trump isn't. And the judge is going to say, Takapina, it's your, you know, your witness. And Takapina is going to defense rest. And I think you will hear an audible gasp amongst jurors when they realize, because they don't know now that he's not going to show up, and he's not going to even rebut anything that just happened. So then in the closing argument, Roberta Kaplan, Eugene Charles Wolf, will go to the jury. You heard from her. Bravely, courageously had a talk about the most difficult moment in her life. You heard from other women who went through the same horrific situation. 
You heard from other women, Eugene Cowell. You heard Donald Trump's deposition. And you heard in Donald Trump, you know, you heard in his own words what he said. That the reason that he said he couldn't do it is that he's not his type. Like, are you kidding me? And you heard him brag about it. And then, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, they had the opportunity. I'm sure you wanted to hear from him. And they did not call a single witness. This is a preponderance of evidence. Uh, 51% of the scales of justice just held slightly in favor of Eugene Carroll. You have to rule in favor of Eugene Carroll. That's going to be the message, and I think it's going to be a compelling closing. Yeah, and you look at, you know, just look, you're talking about Alina Haba. All she can do is be a performative attorney on television. She does not even likely know how to, as you were saying, conduct a cross-examination. And isn't that just a, a microcosm of the entire GOP and Trump so mega true. party? I mean, they can. They are. They only do performance. They don't do actual law governance. I mean, bring bring these antics of theirs to a court of law, and and we're going to find out who's really who and what's really what now. And that's why I. That's why I have been pushing for so long to use the justice system because people are not the same in a court of law as they are on the street, as they are on TV, as they are in Twitter, as they are in these sham hearings that the, you know, House fascist caucus is putting on. They are required to conform to the rules of that courtroom, um, and they can be, they are in hot water if they do not follow those rules and speak the truth and engage in the baseline behavior that isn't accepted in a court of law. And this is the law and order party, right? They love law and order so much. Now, they really hate law and order. Law and order threatens everything that they're about. So I'm so glad that we um, that we have Eugene Carroll to kind of lead the way. I mean, this is really the first really publicized um, post-presidency trial for Donald Trump prior to these criminal trials. Um, and look, look at the woman, the woman at, at, um, like I said in the open, 79 years young, being this leader for women of all ages, I would argue people of all ages, to speak the truth like this in the face of this coward. You make such a great point there that it is a microcosm of the performative aspect of just the Republicans in general. You want to talk a big game. You know, you got Jim Jordan. They put on the Judiciary Committee. He's not even a licensed lawyer. He rolls up his sleeves and he's like, here's what we're going to do. And then you've got, like, Stephen Miller, um, you know, Donald Trump's former aide, who starts an organization called, like, America First Legal. And they're like, we filed the civil rights case. They just, like, file these, like, bizarre and just, just frankly despicable letters to the EEOC suing companies that have diversity and inclusion programs. And they go, we filed a federal civil rights law. You didn't file a lawsuit. You wrote a letter to the EEOC so that Fox and your right-wing media can just talk about it. But you're right, Jessica. You put them in the arena. Now do something. Now build something. I know y'all like to just destroy and lie, but do do something. Let's let's see it, Alina Abba. Show the world that you could do the most basic cross examination because you sure talk a tough game when you go on that. And and and, and she can't. And and you see skill and competency. I want to give before going to the next topic though. Eugene Carroll's lawyers, Roberta Kaplan, and those and that team of lawyers. 
is like top notch. The, the yeah. best lawyering I have ever seen. Yeah. I mean, it is the way they did the opening, their direct, their candor to the jury about facts that the jury may not understand, um, the way they, the motion practice, it has been brilliant. So you have, again, a microcosm, right? Competency and actually doing versus trying to destroy and just perform the Yeah, I'm going to take a moment. I, I, you know, I kind of wing what I, what I, I love to share with our luminaries some more of what is happening this week, but I, I'm going to keep them in suspense um, a little bit because because wheels are turning and we, we are doing the work. We are doing the work. But if you've watched the show from the beginning, you heard me talk about how I was kind of resistant and a little bit hesitant to put on a podcast. Um, part of the reason is because I'm still so embroiled in my cases against Donald Trump. I still have my initial 2017 sex discrimination and harassment case against the Trump campaign, and I still am working to certify the class so that all of the Trump NDAs are, are invalid. And this is, like you said, when you take on these, these cases, when you take on a lawsuit of any kind, not to mention a lawsuit or two lawsuits or multiple cases as I have had against the former president's campaign, it is an overwhelming uh, responsibility. And this week was one of those weeks when I had an overwhelming amount of, uh, let's just say, wheels to to turn and um, things to be involved in in my cases. And when I come on with you on Lights On, I'm coming here to you bringing my perspective. Then you're bringing your expertise and growing as a practitioner of the law. Um, there's, there's such a distinction, I think, between what we're doing, where I, it's so important to me when I put on this show to be genuine, to bring a real and heartfelt um, conveyance of what I have experienced versus the performance politics on the right that's on, you know, their cable news outlets, their fascist Russian propaganda channels, their podcast senators that are more concerned with putting on podcasts than actually governing. Um, so I, I just wanted to share that with you because that's kind of what's going on in the background of Lights On is real um, legal legal work going on, like in in no small way, uh, major major developments, and um, and I'm going to share them with you when I can. <laughs> and look, no, we've heard a lot of stories this week also about large media networks legacy media networks that are balanced and they are massive cuts, they are going bankrupt and you know I think one of the things that you show says is actually the most obvious solution the most obvious answer to what's going on with the right wing it's all, it's all looking us right in the face right and that's the love that's the compassion that's the intelligence large media networks feel they can't lean into that and that's such a strange and odd thing because that is how you in the past all of the hate and authoritarians have been defeated the truth and love and rallying people around a common cause for pro-democracy. And look, there's a lot to be happy about this week as well. We're going to talk a little bit about Tucker Carlson being fired. We're going to talk about some major developments 
in Special Counsel Jack Smith, ongoing criminal investigation of Donald Trump, former Vice President Pence testified before the grand jury in Washington, D.C. And, of course, we got to talk about how President Biden um, announced his re-election, and he's talking about freedom, freedom, freedom. We'll talk about all of that when we come back from this quick break. I don't like to waste anything, but I never used the compost. I assumed it was too complicated, too time-consuming, and I honestly wouldn't have known where to start. Then I got a Lomi. Lomi allows me you to mean turn to my blow me. waste into dirt with the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter. She means to blow me. to dirt in under four hours. There's no smell when it runs, and it's really quiet. Thanks to Lomi, I have way less garbage to send to a leaf spill. And here's what I really love. Lomi helps feed my plants. I add the scraps of dirt from my Lomi to the soil, and my plants get rich nutrients. Less waste all around, and my plants are happy. Since I got my Lomi, I throw out way less garbage, which means it's not going to land, so it's introducing nothing. It honestly feels great to be eliminating waste, producing nutrient-rich fertilizer, and helping to reduce the world's carbon footprint, all right from my own kitchen. So if you want to start making a positive environmental impact, or just want to make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash lights and use the promo code lights to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to L-O-M-I.com Looking for that part. And I'm use the promo uh, code lights fascism. to check out. No, it's not conservative. It's fascism. Let Lomi save you a cold trip out to the garbage can. Welcome back. Uh, I do things on me. I didn't even know that was coming. I got I to gotta look it up private chat. Got to do the ad breaks occasionally, so if you can tell us about um, what, what's going on with Special Counsel Jackson. It's a very big week. Every week's a big week, but a particularly big week this one. Yeah, Mike Pence, for all his huffing and puffing about Biden's uh, politicized DOJ subpoena, which of course it never was, he rushed himself right in there to sit with Jack Smith for... I think it reported five to seven hours yesterday after Trump lost his final bid to block this um, in the appeals court, shutting down that executive privilege claim once again. And there we go. We have Mike Pence behind closed doors, probably giving a much more, uh, much stronger renunciation of Trump than he ever will give in public because he's in this, you know, morally equivocating position where he is trying to, you know, be Trump's best defender for four years and yet say, I did the right thing. I did my minimum constitutional duty on January 6th. Um, but this is this is huge. I mean, when in history, and I think <laughs> this is a rhetorical question, when in history has a former vice president testified criminal in a criminal probe of the president he served under? Of course, never. This is this is extremely extremely significant. I think it signals um, a much, you know, extremely significant progress in in Smith's probe into Trump's efforts to overturn the election, his efforts to pressure Pence to not certify the election on January 6th. Uh, we know that the names that Trump called Pence when <laughs> he was suggesting that he probably wouldn't have um, the 
chutzpah or whatever to um, do what Trump was demanding him to do. And I think one of the one of the most revealing things, I think there's going to be a lot that came out yesterday that goes to mens rea, that goes to Trump's criminal intent, his knowledge that what he was asking Pence to do was in fact dishonest, that it wasn't because he had won, but in fact because he lost. Um, do you know that that section? I don't know <laughs> how much you followed Pence's book. I, of course, didn't read it, but I've seen reporting on it that um, he said yeah, that Trump told him he was too honest. He was too honest. So for him to really flesh out those conversations with Jack Smith before the grand jury is, is very, very significant because, like I said, it goes to Trump's intent. And that's a major component of proving any criminal case against Trump, which I think has always been extremely obvious. But it's obviously very significant to get it from a witness like Mike Pence. Should I do my Mike Pence impression? Do it. All right. He goes, you know, it's a, Jack, I just want you to know, first, I am a Christian. And second, I am a conservative. Awesome. Mike Pence impersonation. And Mike Pence. And, and third, I am a Republican in that order. So if Donald Trump did indeed want to kill me, okay, if he wanted to do that, I'd have to ask myself, I'd have to consult my faith, I'd have to consult my family, and I would say, is he doing it because he is a Christian, conservative, or a Republican? And I would say, order. So if Donald Trump didn't... All right, he goes, you know, it's a, it should be treated the same. All right, he goes, but I'm glad that he testified. All right, he goes, what, total and a... All right, he goes, I mean, he argued the speech. All right, he goes, you know, it's a, Jack, I just want you to know, first, I am a Christian. And second, I am a conservative. And, and third, I am a Republican in that order. So if Donald Trump did indeed want to kill me, okay, if he wanted to do that, I'd have to ask myself, I'd have to consult my faith, I'd have to consult my family, and I would say, is he doing it because he is a Christian, conservative, or a Republican? If one of those things occurs, I'll have to say, you may hang me, Donald Trump. You may, you may, you may do that. I mean, you know, what? total and utter complete cap. A Republican. If one of those things occurs, I'll have to say, you may hang me, Donald Trump. You may, you may, you may do that. I mean, you know, what? total and utter complete coward, you know, but I'm glad that he testified. I mean, he argued the speech and debate clause privilege that he should be treated the same as a United States senator because he was the president of the Senate. And I think Judge Jeb Boesberg, who was the presiding judge over the uh, various grand jury proceedings now in D.C., was like, all right, sure. <laughs> like, sure, Pence. We'll say that you were the president of the Senate, 
for the period of time where you were counting the electoral votes. But everything else, you have to testify. The criminal <laughs> procedure and... and Come on, and, Bonnie Willis. <laughs> and, and the like, I'm not, like, deeply, you know, in terms of, like, what their, what their bail requirements are. But I could mm -hmm. say, as a general matter, I believe that both for um, Jack Smith and for Fulton County, what Trump would argue and the judges would accept is that given that he's a high-profile person, given the security that exists at Mar-a-Lago, given that his movement is monitored, that, um, you know, that, that as long as he posts, there probably won't be a significant amount of mail, that he'll be able to be, you know, re released pending his trial date. But the reality is, if you look at other January 6th insurrectionists, it's been on a case-by-case -case basis. There have been a number of insurrectionists who have been on house arrest. There have been a number of insurrectionists who have conditions placed on their travel. But I could envision something with the DOJ, there being restrictions on him traveling outside of Mar-a-Lago, restrictions traveling to foreign countries. Um, so I can imagine restrictions being imposed like that, but I don't believe any of the crimes that he'll be charged with would have him in jail while, you know, before he actually goes before a jury. Yeah, I think a lot of the country will just looks at this. I mean, it just feels so inequitable still because, you know, there's so many people in jails and prisons across our country for so, so much less minor offense that would require him to be held without that. I mean, I, I, I'll put an asterisk on it in the sense that I am not um, an, an expert on Fulton County the criminal procedure and and come on, and, Bonnie Willis. <laughs> like, I'm not like deeply, you know, in terms of like what their what their bail requirements are, but I could mm -hmm. say as a general matter, I believe that both for um, Jack Smith and for Fulton County, what Trump would argue and the judges would accept is that given that he's a high-profile person, given the security that exists at Mar-a-Lago, given that his movement is monitored, that, um, you know, that, that as long as he posts, there probably won't be an insignificant amount of bail, and he'll be able to be, you know, released pending his trial date. But the reality is, if you look at other January 6th insurrectionists, it's been on a case-by-case -case basis. There have been a number of insurrectionists who have been on house arrest. There's been a number of insurrectionists who have conditions placed on their travel. Now, I could envision something with the DOJ, there being restrictions on him traveling outside of Mar-a-Lago, restrictions traveling to foreign countries. Um, so I can imagine restrictions being imposed like that, but I don't believe any of the crimes that he'll be charged with would have him in jail while, you know, before he actually goes before a group. Yeah, I think a lot of the country will just looks at this. I mean, it just feels so inequitable still because, you know, there's so many people in jails and prisons across our country for so, so much less minor offenses than Trump has been accused of and maybe charged uh, or probably being investigated for and maybe charged with. Um, yeah. Yeah, but think about it like this. Think about it like this. Um, I, I'll, say, I'll say this. Like, the New York Attorney General case yeah. Against That's a civil case, it's not a criminal case. Has moved faster than any civil case I've ever seen in New York. And I think that most New York practitioners will tell you. The fact that on, the fact that uh, Letitia James filed that case in September of 2022 and you have an October of 2023 trial date 
where Donald Trump's being sued for um, at least $250 million of those as adult children, which would shut down the Trump organization from doing business. That case has moved faster than any civil case I've ever seen um, in, in New York. I think things are moving quickly now on the various, on the various other cases. Like you mentioned, Jessica, at the beginning of this, so like the case that you brought was from 2017. 17, yeah. We're in 2023. Like, yep. that's, I'm sure you would have wanted to go to trial if you could have been 2018 and not have it last until it's combination of, In my case, it's a combination of incessant delay tactics from the Trump campaign, including, you know, massive retaliatory actions. You know, illegal NDA enforcement, $1.5 million arbitration demand, illegal, you know, $50,000 judgment that I had to overturn. I mean, massive, massive gums in the work. And trying to use venues, all sorts of delay tactics on top of a fairly slow, uh, I think anybody who's familiar with state court in New York would agree with me, um, just court systems, generally speaking. But uh, FYI, that is that 2017 case for the filing a notice issue. We are wrapping up our final deposition, filing a notice issue on May 31st of this year, and then our case. We'll get in line for trial from the district court. No, that's, that, 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 that's great. And everyone needs to remember what's lining up. Like, like what's the matter? Donald Trump was just charged with 30 plus felonies from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, right? And the Manhattan District Attorney is still investigating other felonies, the fraudulent financial valuations, which are subject to the New York Attorney General civil case which is set to go to trial October 2nd of 2023. So Trump's charged. We've got the New York AG trial. We've got the E. Jean Carroll trial. we got Forney Willis in Fulton County who's going to indict him between July 11th and September 1st. And I believe very serious RICO and racketeering charges. Then you have Special Counsel Jack Smith, who I think is going to criminally indict during a very similar time frame there. And so that's just some of the cases that Donald Trump's going to, um, you know, you know, have, have to deal with. By the way, I think around this time next week, we may have a verdict in the yeah. E.G. Carroll trial. So we'll see people like, we'll be on verdict watch around yeah. that time as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, speaking of, uh, let's see, moving from legal to political, and we started off with just the resilience of E.G. Carroll at her age. We have just the most ugly, ugly hateful, hateful suggestions coming out of the fascist GOP, those like Mike Pence who don't have the moral courage to really condemn Trump but think they can reinvent themselves without ever having taken a moral stand. Um, one of those prime examples is Nikki Haley. Uh, she came out this week and essentially very explicitly implied that Biden was going to die before the end. Can we play that clip, Paul? Please just say something. You know, that he's running again in 2024, and I think that we can all be very clear and, and say with a matter of fact that if you vote for Joe Biden, you really are counting on a President Harris because the idea that he would make it until 86 years old is not, um, is not something that I think is likely. It's why I've continued to say we need to have mental competency tests up until the state, you know, starting at 75. 
There's just so much there. It just, it, it, it's so incensing. First of all, she was conflating physical and mental competency, mental competency that I would argue she has none of. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, suggesting that this man who is in quite excellent physical shape for his age is just going to die before four years from now. I mean, I had a, my great grandfather. We can, you know, just imagine the times that that was. Life expectancy is, was not what it is today. Is rollerblading when he was 95 years old. My other great grandfather got married, remarried when he was 100. To suggest that somebody's life is going to end at that point is such a ignorant, hateful, ugly suggestion. I mean, Nikki Haley has come forth, you know, like this. You know, she's going to be the woman representing the Republican Party, and as she's taking on this. The feminine face of fascism. She's so bored with her ugly, ageist platform that um, it just really has no place. I hope that we have, that I wish that more people in the media confronted with ageism with the same kind of um, pushback and moral authority that we would have. How about a psyche valve for Trump? Fucking insane. Anything. It's so, so gross. They're not talking about any issues. They're not talking about anything that they are going to do, you know. They either have these, like, very personalized, hate-filled, discriminatory rants. I won't even get into what happened in some of those committees to watch the hot takes that I did on that. You know, or you have them talking about bathrooms and, you know, and pronouns and Mr. Potato Heads and the green M&M's and Dr. Seuss and, you know, and, and, and all of these things. And it's, like, really weird and disgusting that these MAGA Republicans, like, just wake up in the morning and all they want to do is talk about gender. Like, that's that's all that's on their mind, you know, is, is, is who's using a bathroom. It's like, okay, can we talk about jobs? No, we can can't. we talk about working they're, conditions? They're like, there to sabotage the rest jobs? of us. Yeah, I was just going to say the truth of the matter is that Biden's in, first of all, he's in excellent shape for his age. The guy bikes all the time. He's a, he's a, a spelt, you know, in excellent physical shape. Look at Donald Trump, for God's sakes. I'm, he's in excellent shape. And, and all of these things, and it's like really weird and disgusting that these MAGA Republicans like just wake up in the morning and all they want to do is talk about genitals. Like that's, that's all that's on their mind, you know, is, is, is who's using a bathroom. It's like, okay, can we talk about jobs? Can we talk about working conditions? Like, can we talk about equality? Can we talk about healthcare? Can we like, let's, Shift. Yeah. Let's focus on real issues, please. Yeah. And the and, truth, and, and, the truth. Yeah, I was just going to say the truth of the matter is that Biden's in. First of all, he's in excellent shape for his age. The guy bikes all the time. He's a he's a, a svelte, you know, in excellent physical shape. Look at Donald Trump, for God's sakes. I mean, just just as a point of comparison for the 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 self care and fit. and and all of these things, and it's like really weird and disgusting that these MAGA Republicans like just wake up in the morning and all they want to do is talk about genitals. Like that's, that's all that's on their mind. God's sakes. I mean, 
just uh, just as a point of comparison for the 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 self care and fitness that someone can have at a certain age versus you know the condition of Donald Trump. Um, but on but the only thing. That his that Biden's age really speaks to is his that the only way it has affected his presidency at all is in a positive way from his years and years of experience, years in the Senate, years as a legislator, being able to to work with people to get things like the bipartisan uh, infrastructure act passed, like the PACT Act, the Chips Act, all of these things that Republicans oppose that are hurting our veterans, like the. The, the spontaneity, you remember, Ben, you were hosting live coverage of it, the State of the Union address, when Biden, in so spontaneous, so impromptu, basically held the Republicans' feet to the fire in real time, making them commit to not putting Social Security on the chopping block in these in these debt limit negotiations. I mean, the guy's on top of things. There's, there's no, there is no realistic um, or credible challenge to his mental competency based on his age, and it's really gross that they would go after him in that way. You know, sometimes I think, when I think holistically about the Midas Touch Network, and I think about what one of the main things that large media networks, that they, in terms of their both sidesing the issues, you know, they want to force these debates, and they want to force these debates on the terms of the MAGA Republicans and basically shift the Overton window of acceptable discourse to basically normalize these conspiracy-fueled, hate-fueled positions of them, right? And so what they'll do is they'll put on one side of the screen a MAGA Republican just saying something outrageously false and a crazy conspiracy theory. And then on the other side, they'll put someone who's representing the Democratic side. But frankly, it's not even like a political position, like just someone representing kind of normalcy, right? And then they'll have them debate it. And then the person on the MAGA Republican side will basically be like, well, I have the freedom of speech to have this debate. So do not shut down this debate. You think that I don't even have the right to have this debate? We should have a free and open discussion on what's taking place. And meanwhile, they're saying the most outrageously false things, but they say it with a way that's like and everybody knows that the NRA is the reason why the Civil Rights Act passed. Everybody knows no one has done more for black people in America than the NRA and by the Second Amendment defense. Everybody knows that. And I don't know if you saw this interplay between Samway, who said that, and Don Lemon. Oh, I saw it. I saw and then, it. And then Don Lemon goes, that's not that's not true at it's all. It's like, actually it, accurate. No. And Viva Gramoswabwe is like, it is factually accurate, and we should have a debate on it. And then Don Lemon's like, there's no reason to have a debate. The problem is, when you do that split-screen thing, and then you have the debate, you've now elevated that position, and in the two minutes that you get to have that debate, the audience is left with the impression that maybe the person who screamed louder and said, everybody knows this, has a point. And maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. 
when it's absolutely not. And it is a, and, and to your point and to the point we're talking about before, it's like, what is an idea uh, other than the MAGA Republicans? I know what they want to do when it comes to the debt ceiling, right? I know that they're saying destroy the American economy unless you agree to the following things. Cut 30 million VA visits for veterans. Cut, I think it's 22% of the VA budget. Eliminate funding for housing choice vouchers for 50,000 veterans. Kick 300,000 kids, I think it is, out of child care and head start. Evict 400,000 families from their homes. Kick a million seniors off meals on wheels. Kick a million mothers and children off nutritional assistance programs. Eliminate Pell Grants. Close 125 air traffic control towers. Scale back rail safety, send manufacturing jobs overseas, deny 750,000 workers job training and employment services, defund the IRS, and they go, We're, if you don't agree to all of these things, guess what happens? Say goodbye, economy. It's like, what? What are yeah. you even? What are you even talking? How are we supposed to even have a discussion if that is, you know, if that no. is your view? So all no, it, it goes is, back to the the performative. When you're talking about air traffic controllers, you know, there's something that I always think of, and I it's like always in the back of my mind when whenever we're having budget or debt limit discussions. Remember in 2018 when the Democrats took back the House when Trump was president, and he went on this ego huffing and puffing, you know, ego trip with Nancy Pelosi and decide and it decided to shut down the government you remember that right ben uh-huh. do you remember that w- during that i believe it was either during that time period or shortly thereafter a plane went down it was the second crash of a 737 Trump, max uh, remember ralph nader's niece that was the result of the faa halting updates to the 737 max that were supposed to be happening but did not happen because Donald Trump was on an ego trip to, you know, show that he was going to out tough or out smart or whatever this strong woman once again that was that was he was being confronted with. He accomplished absolutely nothing. Over a hundred and hundred innocent civilians died in that crash. And these are, I mean, there's so many tragic and heinous consequences of these. That this political gamesmanship that they put on, that Kevin McCarthy is putting on right now. I mean, this is not how debt limit negotiations, this is not how it, we, we negotiate the budget. You don't slash a bunch of veterans' benefits to raise the debt limit. You, you issue a clean bill to raise the debt limit. Republicans and Democrats do it all the time. And then you negotiate the budget separately. And then we can, you know, get to their heinous cuts for the people in our country that need it most and deserve it most for our veterans. For God's sakes, these, I mean, I just wish if you yep. have family out there that, that supports <clears throat> the GOP, that, that watches Fox News, that, is, you know, leans Republican and they're in the military, that if they're veterans, please educate them about what this party is trying to do to them it's this this is what bothers me more than anything is the people who have put their lives lives on the line for this country believing that for one second the gop has their best interest in heart because their actions prove the exact opposite 97 percent of all debt in united states history was accrued before president biden ever took 
office, okay? 25% of all of that debt was caused by Donald Trump and Republican policies. This isn't hyperbole. That's just what the facts are. That is what the data is. Yep. And look, if we want to have, to your point, a debate, an intelligible discussion on spending, okay? There is an appropriate time to do that during the appropriations process that happens every single year and through the appropriate House committees, which has the power of the purse, and through negotiations in general. There could be these discussions and there could be open debate and there should be real discussions. I know the MAGA Republicans want to hold their conspiracy hearings where they where they have their conspiracy things, where they have like Twitter executives show up and they act like Twitter controls the world under Biden's involved in that or explore Hunter Biden's laptop stuff. But no, look, the way hearings should work is you could have a committee hearing and then we could have discussions and the Democrats can say.